by Rosemary. Well, good morning again. If you would, turn in your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 45. And while you're there, you may uh, just put your finger on Genesis chapter 50 as well. We're going to venture over there just in a moment. You heard uh, Micah read that earlier, and I'm so excited for that, by the way. I didn't, uh, didn't fully convey that, but I'm excited about having our church family be more a part of our services, whether it's through the testimony or whether it's through opening us in, in a word of prayer and with the word of God. And uh, I hope that that will speak to your heart and you'll be encouraged by that as well. We come to Genesis chapter 45 um, this week, kind of really launching into a new sermon series uh, called Come and See. Two weeks ago, if you weren't here, we did a, a sermon and we looked at the Word of God and the importance of testifying, of sharing that most precious thing that God has given you in the story of His grace in your life and how God can use that in not only your life, but in the lives of others to encourage them, but also to challenge them to have a story of their own. And then last week, if you were here with us, we heard from Greg McGee. And Greg is, uh, Greg is the pastor of North Road Harvester Campus, and we were able to be a part of that financially to see that church replanted. Greg came and gave testimony of what God is doing in that church, and uh, we were excited to hear by that. And it was interesting how that tied into the, the theme of testimony. And many of you came to me afterwards and talked about what a great Sunday it was to hear from him and to uh, join in his excitement about what God's doing, but also be challenged as individuals and as a church um, about some of the things that, uh, that we are doing and need to be doing as well. As we start in here the next few weeks, what we're going to be looking at then is uh, testimonies throughout Scripture of people that God has intervened in their life in various ways and how they express their testimony in Scripture to hear and to know. And my prayer is, is that as we go through this sermon series, as we hear from Joseph and we hear from Hannah and as we hear from the blind man who was healed and as we hear from the Samaritan woman, as we hear from Nehemiah and all of these other folks, that their testimonies would do the same. That their testimonies would encourage you. They would inspire you. And that they would challenge you as well. And so this morning we start with Joseph. And if I don't say Joshua three times this morning, it's going to be a fantastic miracle. Um, that's for those of you who don't know, that's where we've been for the last 16 weeks. So if I don't say Joshua, we're going we're gonna to do awesome. So Joseph, uh, we're going to start with his testimony this morning. So hopefully by now you found Genesis chapter 45. If you would please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word this morning. Chapter 45, we're going to start in verse 4 and read through verse 8, and then we are going to skip over to 50 and read part of that as well. It says, So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. 
For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will neither be plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a Pharaoh, a father to Pharaoh, and the Lord of all his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. And then turn with me over to 50, and we're going to start in verse 19. Joseph is once again talking to his brothers, and he says, and so the word says, but Joseph said to them, do not fear, for I am in the place, for am I in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we are incredibly thankful for the testimony that you have put in our lives. Lord, for the stories of grace that surround us this morning, of brothers and sisters whom you have touched in a miraculous way, that you have changed their life, that you have brought life where there was once death, that you have made hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, that they may have a relationship with you, that you have walked us through the glorious parts of life that are so exciting, and you have walked us through the darkest of valleys, that you have answered prayer, that you have answered prayers unuttered, that you have intervened in our lives in ways that we could not imagine. That you have written stories in our life that are much grander than anything we could have. Father, we have much to be thankful for today. Lord, we ask that, Lord, as we hear the story of Joseph, for many of us, for the millionth time, Lord, that we would hear in his testimony, in his recounts, your glory, your salvation, and your grace. That we would be encouraged by it, and that we would be challenged by it. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As we come this morning to Genesis, many of you probably already know the story of Joseph. Many of you could probably recite much of it by heart. It's one that we study from the time we're little bitties in Sunday school, and yet it's good for us to see things again. I don't know that I'd ever, before I really began to prepare for this sermon series, ever really thought about that Joseph gives testimony. I never thought about it in that light, that he stands before his brothers and communicates with them that it's really his testimony. Now, he doesn't give a great amount of detail. He kind of sums it up in some very succinct words, but it's his testimony. It's what God has done in his life, what God has brought him through. And it's a reminder in many ways for us that, you know, we talk about sharing your testimony, and sharing your testimony doesn't always have to be talking about for your life from the day you were born until the present moment. Many times, sharing your testimony is finding that succinct moment in your life speaks to what's going on in another person's life, and they don't need necessarily all the details. They just need to know what God's done in your life. They just need to know that He's real and that He cares. Joseph 
one of the things that Joseph uses, one phrase that he uses that's very succinct, he says in 50, he says, what man meant for evil. That's part of his testimony. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to unpack the two phrases, what man meant for evil, God used for good. We're going to unpack those and talk about what that means in Joseph's testimony and then how that applies to us. So let's start with that first one, what man meant for evil. What does Joseph mean by this? And for some going to be some review. You're going to know this story. But as I was talking with a pastor the other day, there's nothing wrong with repeating things. God does it all the time because we learn slowly and we need that repeating. And so what does he mean when he says what man meant for evil? Well, if you know the story of Joseph, and if you don't, I encourage you to go back to chapter 37, I believe is where that starts. But Joseph is one of 12 brothers, big family, right? And he is daddy's favorite. Now, parents shouldn't have favorites, and the story of Joseph is a clear reason why. Joseph is the favorite. His dad gives him special treatment. His dad buys him special clothes, including a coat of what the Bible says is many colors. He gives him special clothing. You'll notice as well, as you read through some of those chapters, that Joseph doesn't join his work, the family business the family business being shepherding, and yet Joseph is, is with dad still in the tent, and occasionally dad sends him out and says, go, check on your brothers. Well, you can imagine how this goes over with the other brothers. They're jealous. They're incredibly jealous of him. And so when one day Joseph shows up, this favorite golden child of dad shows up in the field to check on them, because you know siblings love being checked up on by other siblings. As he's checking up on them, he says, oh, by the way, guys, I've had a dream, and I know the interpretation. The dream that I've had, in, in, in shortening it down a little bit, the dream that I've had is that one day you're going to bow down to me, and you're going to serve me. Well, you can imagine how well this went over. Not at all. I can't imagine if Lisa came up to me and said, hey, I've had a dream. God's told me it's going to come true. One day you are going to bow and serve me. That's where the nickname kid comes about. All right, kid. Let's just remember you're the youngest. I'm the oldest. It's going to stay that way forever. Didn't go over well. And after much discussion about what they were going to do to him, the brothers, 10 of them, take Joseph and they stick him in a well and they sell him into slavery. Eventually, he finds himself in Egypt. They take that special coat that, that dad had given him and they rip it up into shreds and they dip it in blood and they take it back to their dad and they say, Dad, Joseph was attacked by a wild animal. This is all that's left. So when he speaks of what man meant for evil, when he says, do not be distressed about the fact that you sold what he speaks of is that he has been betrayed by family. It's part of his testimony. Of course, Joseph finds himself in Egypt, and for a time, things look like it's getting better. He actually, he's, he's sold into slavery, but a man named Potiphar brings him into his house, and Potiphar realizes very quickly, this guy is to be trusted, this guy is faithful, and so he puts him in charge of his whole household, of his whole estate. Everything is under Joseph's control. And it looks like, hey, Slavery is bad. It's not a good thing that I've been sold here. I've been betrayed by my family, but it's going to be okay, right? It's going to be okay. This isn't 
dangerous thing in the world. But what happens is Potiphar's wife decides that Joseph's pretty good too. And she begins to try to seduce him. She begins to invite him into a relationship that's not appropriate. And one day while she is attempting to do so, Joseph realizes the only answer here is for me to get away from this woman. And so he starts to run from her and she reaches out and grabs a piece of his clothing, his outer garment. And he struggles to get away from her and he, she gets his garment away and he just runs out of there. You'll notice a theme in Joseph's life. Outer garment's not good, okay? So they tear that garment away, and then she takes that garment, and she goes to her husband, a bitter, jealous, jilted woman, and she goes to her husband and says, your guy that you trust so much tried to take advantage of me, and here's the proof. Well, Potiphar has no choice. He can't believe a slave over his wife, and so he ends up throwing Joseph in prison, wrongly convicted, wrongly accused. So when Joseph says what man meant for evil, he's speaking of betrayal of family, but he's also speaking of an unjust conviction. While he's in prison, he meets two individuals. One of them is the chief baker, and the other one is the chief cupbearer. The cupbearer being the individual that would hand the cup of wine or the drink to the, the, the king, having already tasted it to make sure it wasn't poisoned. And these two guys, for whatever reason, had found themselves in prison right next to Joseph. And they both have dreams, and these dreams trouble these men. And so Joseph says, tell me the dreams, and I'll tell you what they mean. They do so, and he says, I've got good news and bad news. To the baker, he says, I'm sorry, I have bad news. Your dream means that in a few days that you are going to be hanged for your crime. He looks at the cupbearer, and he says, but for you, I have good news. Your dream means that you're going to get your old position back. You're going to be cupbearer again. You're going to have that status renewed. And he, but he gives the cupbearer a charge. He says, I only ask that when that happens that you remember me. Remember that I'm here. Remember that I was convicted unjustly. Remember what I have done for you. And of course the cupbearer says, absolutely, of course I will. This is how the end of chapter 40 ends. It says, On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all of his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in the Pharaoh's hands, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. And then verse 23 Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but he forgot him. Verse chapter 41, after two whole years. So when Joseph says what man intended for evil, what man meant for evil, he speaks of the betrayal of family, he speaks of it being unjustly convicted and judged, and he speaks being forgotten by all. Forgotten by all. The one that he had helped, the one that he had given this good news to, that he had interpreted the dream for, forgot him. Forgotten by his family. Forgotten by his co-workers. Forgotten by those he had helped. Joseph understood what it meant to say what man meant for evil. 
Thankfully, that's not the end of Joseph's testimony. Joseph goes on, he says, what man meant for evil, God meant for good. We look at the rest of Joseph's testimony and he he talks about that he has been raised in status, that he is now the father of Pharaoh. That was a common phrase in the day to, to say that he was the chief advisor to Pharaoh, that he was the most trusted advisor. You see, what happens is after that two years of being forgotten, Pharaoh has a dream and it troubles him. He can't shake it. If you've ever had a bad dream, you kind of know what goes on here. It, just, it, it haunts you. Every time you close your eyes, you see that same dream repeating itself. And Pharaoh's asking everyone he knows, who, who can tell me what this means? Who can explain what's going on? And no one can. Until finally, a light bulb goes off in the bearer's brain, and he says, I know a guy. Have you ever been in that situation where you and some others are discussing a problem and there's the guy standing off to the side drinking a soda and not doing anything and you're not even sure he's paying attention and hours go by of you trying to figure out this problem and then all of a sudden this guy goes, oh, I know, I know, I can fix that. And he walks over, he like flips a switch and it's over and you're like, where have you been? That's the cupbearer, okay? He remembers all of a sudden, I know a guy that interprets dreams. And so he, they go get Joseph out of jail. They clean him up. They put him before Pharaoh. And sure enough, Pharaoh tells him his dream. And Joseph says, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be years of plenty. There's going to be years of famine. Pharaoh, being impressed by the interpretation and understanding it to be true, says, then what should we do? And Joseph lays out a plan. The plan works. Thousands of people are saved during some horrendous years of famine. Pharaoh gains more power and more wealth. And Joseph is installed as the second most powerful person in Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world at this time. It was an unbelievable ascent from the depths of being forgotten to this place of power. And it meant salvation for so many. Hundreds of thousands of people saved because of the gifts and the wisdom that God had given Joshua. Or sorry, Joseph. See? Told you. Joseph. Hundreds of thousands have saved. But maybe one of the most remarkable parts of this testimony is not the incredible ascent, it's not the salvation for hundreds of thousands, but it's relationships that are restored. You see, at the end of the story, kind of as we come to it, the famine has extended into the land of Canaan where Jacob and, or Israel and his 12 sons, now 11, were living. And those brothers are sent to go to Egypt because there is word that there's still food in Egypt. And so the brothers go. Joseph identifies them. They don't identify him because he's changed over the years and they don't expect to see him. It's kind of like when you see a teacher of yours in Walmart and it's like, wait a minute, you're supposed to live at school. What do you mean you're here at Walmart? Some of you got that. So anyway, (laughs) the teachers are sitting there shaking their head, yeah. So they they don't expect Joseph. They don't see Joseph. And he puts them to the test. He just wants to see if they've changed. But at the end of that test, Joseph can't take it anymore. And he calls them close and says, come near to me. I'm that brother. I'm that brother that you sold into slavery. 
and he's weeping. It says that he sent all of his Egyptian servants out of the room, but it didn't matter because they could hear his crying. They could hear his weeping throughout the palace because he's overjoyed at seeing his family again. And we see a relationship restored. It's in some ways unexpected, this forgiveness that Joseph has. That he looks at these brothers that sold him into slavery and betrayed him, and he says, it's okay. Don't be dismayed. Look at what God has done. Look at what, how he has used it. Look at the lives that have been saved. Look at where I'm at. Look at what I can do to save you. And he forgives. Joseph's story, what God meant for good, is not just a story of Joseph overcoming difficulty. It's a story of restoration. So the question comes then as we review this testimony, as we hear Joseph say these words, then how does it apply to us? My question is, can you see yourself in Joseph? Can you say, yes, I've been betrayed? I know what it feels like. I know what it feels like for a family member, a friend, a co-worker, someone that I trusted, someone that I cared for to stab me in the back. Maybe you're here and you would say that life is disappointed. You had plans. You had dreams. Joseph literally had dreams. Literally knew they were coming true. Can you imagine being stuck in that well thinking that going from a point where life is wonderful and your dad's favorite and everything's working out exactly the way you had hoped and <clears throat> now someday you know that you're going to be a ruler and you've got this life trajectory and now you're stuck in a well being sold the hands of slave traders. You're stuck in a prison forgotten by everyone. Maybe you can identify. This was not the plan. This was not what was supposed to happen. Maybe you would say, I know what it feels like to be forgotten. Maybe you would sit here this morning and say, I know that I'm surrounded by a hundred people or more and yet I feel completely alone. Like everyone has forgotten me. Like everyone has abandoned me. I know that feeling. I have that story. Joseph then invites you. Joseph invites you and the word of God invite you. Come and see. Come and see. Come and see a God who is trustworthy. Deuteronomy 7, 9, Know therefore that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God who keeps His covenant and His loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Know a God that you can depend upon. Psalms calls Him the rock. He is the everlasting he is the promise keeper, not just the promise maker. Know a God who is trustworthy. Know a God who uses all things 
Romans 8, starting in verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and He searches the hearts of the, and knows what is, on the, is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. Know a God who uses all things. Notice I'm not saying a God who prevents all things. There are difficulties. There are trials. There are times of grief. There are illnesses. There are the losses of a job. There are jobs that are just plain difficult. Know a God that uses all things for the good of those who trust in Him. Come and see a God who remembers. A God who remembers. In Matthew, Jesus tells us, the sparrow is sold for this much in the temple. How much more valuable are you than a sparrow? And yet not a single one of them drops to the ground without him knowing. He knows the number of hairs on your head. The God of all the universe, the God that put every star in place, the God that put every grain of sand on the beach, He remembers you. He has not forgotten you. He has not forsaken you. Joseph says, come and see this God so that, so that you may know joy. So that you may know joy. I have, I was not there. I do not know Joseph personally. Never spoken to the man. But when we read his story, one of the things that it is remarkable to me is that he goes through prison for two years. He goes through all these other things that are just horrendous. And while I'm sure he grieved, while I'm sure he questioned why he was going through things, I'm sure that there were days that he wondered how long will this continue? we see that he never apparently loses the faith. That there is something that holds him firm through all of it. And it is his trust in his God. Come and see this God who is trustworthy so you may know joy, so that you may know your purpose. This God who uses all things in our life for our good, Come and know Him that you may know purpose in your life. Not just simply earning a paycheck, not just simply to make it day by day, but that you may know His purpose in His kingdom. Something that will not be buried with you, but something that will last for eternity. Know a purpose. And lastly, come and see Him that you may know forgiveness. Forgiveness is twofold. In Joseph's story, just as it is twofold in our story. Joseph's purpose, his, his forgiveness in his story is certainly the, the forgiveness of his own sins and the salvation of so many others that he was able to impact with his own life. But there's also the forgiveness to others. Forgiveness to his brothers. It's also interesting here that we, like, <clears throat> he comes to power and I don't know about you, but the first thing I would do is look up Potiphar and his wife. 
We don't see that. It's not recorded. He doesn't go look for the slave traders. He doesn't go, he doesn't get the cupbearer fired right away. Hey, thanks for forgetting me there, fella. He forgives. Forgiveness is important for ourselves. We have betrayed God and we are forgiveness, but forgiveness to others is equally important in many ways. Christ tells us that if you know someone has against something against you, lay down your offering and go figure it out. Go ask for forgiveness. It's been said many times, and in many ways it's true, unforgiveness harms you more than anyone else. It will eat you alive. It will start as a grain of sand that is irritating in your shoe, and it will grow into a boulder that will run you over. Come and see a God who not only forgives, but who enables us to forgive others. Maybe you're here this morning, and that's your identification with Joseph. You would see in his story betrayal. You would see in his story unjust convictions. You would see in his story being forgotten by everyone. And you would identify with those things. And you would say that there are people in your life that you have not forgiven, people that you hold grudges to, relationships that have been ruined because of an action, relationships in your life that have been separated and torn asunder because of unforgiveness. And this morning you would identify with the story of Joseph and say, I want that. I want to forgive the way he has forgiven me. I want to forgive the way Joseph is able to forgive his brothers. I want those relationships again. I don't want to carry this burden and this weight any longer. This morning, we're going to have a time of response to the word and to this testimony that Joseph gives us in Genesis. My prayer is twofold. One, I pray that if you have never known this Never known this God who remembers you. Never known this God who will never forget you. Never known this God who is trustworthy. Never known this God who has a purpose for you that this morning that you would talk to him, that you would pray a simple prayer. Father, forgive me for how I have betrayed you. Forgive me of when I have followed my own self instead of you. I commit to following you from here on out. Pray that you would pray that prayer. I pray that you would come and see the glory and the grace and the love of God this morning. I pray that if you're here and you've known him. But this morning you are dwelling in a betrayal or you are dwelling in something that's unfair or you are dwelling on being forgotten that this morning that you would come and see a God who answers all of that. That you would come and meet a God who helps us to forgive and move on. I pray that you would do that this morning. I'm going to have the praise team come back up, and we're just, like I said, we're just going to have a time of response this morning to this testimony that we've been given. Let me pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and Father, we are thankful. Lord, we're thankful that 
as we go through this life, that if we have placed our faith and trust in you, that we are given a hope that others do not have. Lord, that we are given a comfort that others do not have. That we know that you walk with us through those times, that you never leave us nor abandon us, that you have not forgotten us. And Lord, that there is more, there is glorious more ahead. That everything we experience here is just temporary. Father, I pray that as we hear the testimony of Joseph this morning, that as we hear of of the betrayal that he experienced, as we hear of the difficulties that, and the trials and the, the troubles, Lord, that he experienced in his life, Lord that, Lord, that some of us, many of us here would identify with those things, and Lord, that we would recognize the work that you did in his life, that you want to do the same for us. Lord, we may not be the second most powerful man in the world, but Lord, we, we know that you have much greater things for us in many ways. Lord, I pray that you would help us. And Lord, I pray for the one this morning, the one that sits here and knows there is unforgiveness in my heart. There is a relationship in my life that is in ruins. Father, I pray that this morning that you would give them the mercy and the grace and the, the courage to make it right, to go in your name, to seek forgiveness or to offer it, that they may see relationships restored. Father, we pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.